Good morning. May I ask your joyful attention to the reading of God's word starting in Titus chapter 2. But as for you, teach the, that what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to become reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray together. Our great God. We stand before you now as recipients of your grace and mercy. The very life we possess today is your gift to us that is undeserved. The faith that we possess in Christ is a gift of yours to us that's undeserved. The presence of your spirit dwelling in us is a gift of yours that's undeserved. The local church is a gift of your grace that's undeserved. And we thank you for all of it. And as recipients of your grace, we cling to Jesus and we long to honor you in this life, in this age, with a great longing for the life to come. So now, Lord, would you speak to your people would you work in your people? Would you shape your people through your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Titus. And particularly, um, we are working our way through chapter 2 of Titus. So if you haven't been with us um, this is our fourth week in Titus chapter 2. The first week, we, we looked at the main thrust of the chapter, and then we've been looking at some individual pieces, individual components of the chapter. So today, today's sermon is entitled, Women of Grace. We're focusing particularly on, chapter, on verses 3, 4, and 5. 
Now, it's important that you should know that last week we addressed men, and the week before, the two weeks before, we addressed all of God's people. Now, you might say, well, why the breakdown? Well, because the breakdown is in the passage, and we wanted to slow down. We wanted to consider the breakdown. I have to admit that this week's sermon is far more humbling and challenging than last week's, primarily because, well, I've never been a woman. Yet, this is God's word, and it's God's word is true. We will dig deeply into it and seek to teach and exhort from a place of compassion and care and concern. Now, I've been told that I have a resting angry face. Ladies, I'm not angry. (laughs) Deep in my soul, I'm coming from a place of compassion and love in Christ and mercy. I might get passionate and scream once or twice, but it's from a... Okay, there you go. You got it. Here's what we're going to see. Well, we've seen that all of Titus 2 is God's people are called upon to walk in God's ways. God's people are called, to, called upon to walk in God's ways. And, and the passage takes the time to be specific. So it addresses men, younger and older. It addresses women, younger and older. It addresses teachers, particularly Titus. It addresses bondservants. And then it It culminates in readdressing the whole congregation. So particularly then, this passage says God's grace is intended to shape the way that women live and walk with Jesus, just as it's intended to shape the way that men live and walk with Jesus. So let's look at this passage Together. Now, if you were here last week, the outline of the sermon is going to look very, very similar. And that's on purpose. First point, grace that shapes. And we're looking particularly at verses 11 through 14 here. I've preached this point three weeks in a row because I hope that the repetition drives home its importance. So I'm hoping that repetition drives home importance. Now look at verses, verse 11 with me. Friends, I want you to believe that what we're saying is flowing from God's word and not from some theological construct laid upon the passage. Hence the repetitiveness. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared This is referring to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, becoming man to make God's glory known, taking on his flesh to reveal the glory of God, to fulfill the will of God, to fulfill the law of God. The grace of God has appeared. It's known. It's manifest. It's available. What does the grace of God do? Bringing salvation for all people. God's son came to bring salvation. That's deliverance from the guilt and the sting and the condemnation of sin. 
God's Son came to bring salvation for all people. And I think here the all people particularly points to all the types of people that he's already talked about in this passage. We all need Jesus. We all, we all need to be delivered from our sin. And the only deliverance comes through Christ. But the passage doesn't stop there. It keeps going and it says, This grace not only brings salvation... But verse 12, it trains us, it forms us to live in a particular way, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And the key phrase in verse 12 is, in the present age. Paul, the author of Titus, has in particular view this This time, the now, the today. In the past, God sent his son. In the future, God's son will come again and bring forever redemption. But in the now, verse 12 says, the grace of God calls us to set aside ungodliness and to take up God's ways. That's what the Lord would want for us. And then it's reiterated in verse 14. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So let's just pause for a moment. What these verses of the scripture tell us is this. The only hope of humanity is the saving blood of Jesus. So today we can stand in our own performance, in our own behavior, in our own goodness. If you're listening online, there were some air quotes involved there. And if we do so, we will still need salvation and we'll stand before God ultimately condemned. But God... Gracious and merciful as he is, sent his son Jesus to redeem dead, lost, condemned sinners. He brings salvation. He brings forgiveness. He brings new life. He brings adoption. He brings hope in Christ. Come to him today. Don't stand in your own performance. Stand covered in Christ's law keeping perfection. That's the invitation of the gospel. So if you're here today and you need to consider where you are, I am so glad that you're here. And I would love if the Lord, by the power of his spirit, would move you today into a place of faith, into a place of believing, into a place of saying, I want to be covered in Jesus. I'll talk to you after the service There's a table right through those double doors with some resources that would help you move toward Jesus. We try to keep a staff member or an elder near that table to pray with you and to help you and to encourage you. If you're a part of this church and you're a follower of Jesus and you see somebody meandering around that table, you go over there and pray with them and help them and encourage them. This passage is then written to those that stand in 
Christ. And what it's shouting is, you stand in Christ with freedom. You stand in Christ forgiven. You stand in Christ with joy. You stand in Christ with hope. And you stand in Christ believing that the Christ who saved you is going to work in your life now to bear fruit. So friends, when the New Testament gives us commands, do this, don't do that. Walk in this way, stop walking in this way. What the New Testament is doing is it's trying to tell us how to follow Christ in the present age. And generations of Christians have been discipled as if verse 12 is not in the Bible, as if there is no theology of the present age. Be saved, get out of condemnation, and just hang loose until Jesus comes back. But that's not how the New Testament is written. The New Testament is written with a robust vision of Christians using Our days and our weeks and our months and our years to rightly follow the Lord because he's made us a new creation and he's put his spirit in us. Okay, everybody with me? So the commands here are not do these things so that God would love you. They're not do these things so that you can be better before God. It's not that at all. The commands are walk in these ways because you have a new king. Walk in these ways because you have a new master. Walk in these ways because you have a new Lord. Walk in these ways because you have a new freedom. Walk in these ways because his way is better. That's what these verses are written for. So verses 1 through 10 in Titus chapter 2, are how Paul would want these Christians to walk in God's ways. And that's what we've been looking at for the last three weeks. So now, we're going to continue that by thinking particularly about women. So second point in today's sermon, a vision for women. And as I said, this is found in verses 3, 4, and 5. There's a command, teach what accords with sound doctrine. There's an urgency to the command. That's in verse 1. He begins verse 2 speaking of older men. And then in verse 3, he talks about older women. In verses 4 and 5, he talks about younger women. We're going to take both of those together. Okay, so before we dive into the words and to their meaning, what's offered in verses 3, 4, and 5, I would say, just as I said about men last week, is not a complete vision of womanhood. It's not a total vision of womanhood. It's not everything the scripture has to say about being a woman devoted to Jesus. I would say that what we see in this passage are necessary building blocks of a complete vision of womanhood. 
These truths are timeless truths. While they were spoken to a particular people at a particular place, at a particular time, I think it would be wrong of us to read them as if they were just for then and there, but rather they've been preserved in God's word because they are for God's people here and there, God's people then and now. There is truth to the word of God that transcends context and transcends culture. There's a whole study we could dive into that, but these truths I and we are arguing are timeless. Therefore, that means we must understand what they say. We must understand what they meant then so that we can understand what they are saying to us now. The passage divides the the exhortations between older women and younger women. Did the same thing with men. I'm not sure why Paul's dividing it this way, but he has divided it in this way, and so we're going to study it in the way that it's divided. That, That distinction between older and younger is a dividing line most scholars believe around the age of 40. Particularly, there's some season of life things that seem to be going on with this distinction between older and younger. So, this vision of womanhood, these are some necessary building blocks. There's a timelessness to it. And there's something really important to note before we get into the the weeds of it. This vision of womanhood specifically and explicitly paints a picture of women helping women follow Jesus. It paints an explicit picture of women helping women follow Jesus. So look at verse Verse 3 says, older women are to be, and it lays out some characteristics. And then at the end of verse 3, it says, they are to teach what is good, and so train the young women too, dot, dot, dot. So there is a vision in this passage of, of women training women, and women discipling women. I mean, ladies, I hope that you learn and are shaped and are discipled through the ministry of preaching here at Redeemer. But, but I also would want you to say there is a particular role for me as a woman walking with Jesus to invest in and to, to care for and to walk with and to teach and to nurture and to help others walk with Jesus. And there's some particularity about womanhood that is best transmitted from woman to woman. And we men should be humble enough to encourage such transmission and such teaching and such investing and such nurturing and such caring. So I would pray for a younger generation of ladies to be eager to be poured into 
and shaped by those ladies who have gone before. And I would pray for you ladies who are walking with Jesus and are bearing fruit to yearn to share some of that joy with those who are younger and coming after you. Those of you that have entered that glorious phase of empty nesthood that we all so yearn for until we get there, I would pray that you would use some of your newfound space and time and um, space and time and space and time for the good of a younger generation that wants to be faithful to walk with Jesus. Now, What are some of these particular building blocks of womanhood that Paul is urging Titus to make sure are conveyed? Verse 3 says, Older women are to be, and we're going to go through these one at a time. And as we hear these, we, we need to hear them as, because of what Christ has done for us, we will walk in his ways. One, reverent in behavior. It says first, be reverent in behavior. This literally is calling for a life behavior that would be words, actions, deeds that is devoted to the Lord and to his ways. Be explicit about being devoted to the Lord, to his word, to his people, and to his ways. Because of what Christ has done for us, let's be committed to pursuing a life that is devoted to God and his ways. Second, not slanderers. Slander is a reference to the tongue and the usage of the tongue. Some English translations here say not gossips, meaning not words that attack the reputation of another. And I would gently point out, no, let me point it out harshly. Men, you can be slanderers too. Now, gently, you can slander and gossip even if what you are saying is actually true. Slander's about motive. Slander's about outcome. Slander's about the desire of the words that are being spoken. Christians, let me just go out on an edge even further. You can slander while sharing a prayer request. Let me just make that clear. So it says, let our words 
not be used to attack the reputation of another. Why? Because the Lord would call us to be reverent in behavior and reverent in how we use our words. Some meditation material here would be the book of James. James goes into great detail about how the the tongue and the usage of the tongue would steer the whole body. Third, not slaves to much wine. Now, a deep dive into the linguistics tells us that this literally means not slaves to much wine. The key word here is slave. I think it's, I think it's a, a very key word when we think about addiction, when we think about what it looks like to be in bondage. You know, slave, bond, servant, synonyms, not slaves too much wine, meaning not enslaved to the consumption of wine, not enslaved to the consumption of all forms of alcohol, not enslaved to the need to consume alcohol. Don't be slaves to much wine. Other passages of the scripture would say, so that we can be slaves to Christ. Reverent behavior, not slanderers, not slave to much wine. Why? Because Christ has freed us. He's redeemed us, and he's called us to walk in his ways, and these are the good ways. Let's be those who walk in them. Fourth, they are to teach what is good. This means to teach what is right and true. It says, equip the older women, to know God, to know God's word, and to be able and willing to share it. Call upon the older women to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine, and to teach what is good, what is right, and what is true. Verse 4 then transitions, and so train the young women too. So this teaching, I'm sure it's not just for the women of the church, but it is particularly in this passage for the younger women in the congregation. The younger women who are following Jesus on Crete. Teach what is good. Now, then, what then verses 4 and 5 become is a bit of a deep dive of what is good. A deep dive of part of what is to be taught. So train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. 
Let's start at the end there. That the word of God may not be reviled. This is part of what Paul's getting at with Titus. He's saying this. If any Christian, man or woman, young or old, is living a life that dishonors Christ and dishonors the gospel, then the message of the gospel is ultimately what is tarnished. And so he's saying, let's all live in such a way that the word of God, rather than being reviled and tarnished and torn apart, would rather be celebrated and exalted as something which is good and worthy of being followed. And we model that by following Christ and following his word and finding joy in his ways. Now, much of this section assumes a young woman who is married with children. Much of this section assumes a young woman who is married with children. It does not say that you have to be married, and it does not say that you have to have children. If you're in those categories, then the passage is going to speak into a couple different layers of life. The single, the married without children, and then the married with children. But it doesn't say that you're in disobedience to God or you're lacking as a follower of Christ if you don't have children or if you are not married. So let's not read that in. It's not what it says. But it does give a vision of the home and a vision of motherhood and a vision of marriage. And and what it ultimately is shouting is how we think about our marriage matters to our walking with Jesus. And how we think about our home matters to our walking with Jesus. Men, that's true for all of us. That's true for all of us. Let's take that seriously. So he says, train the young women first to love their husbands and children. And I, I just wonder on first blush how many of us go, I mean, like, oh, well, oh, of course. Of course. I, I, I love my husband. Of course. I love my children. I mean, of course. Except we forget this. That love in the scripture is a word of commitment and affection and action. It's a word of commitment and affection and action. And so really what it's saying is love and care and walk with your husband. Even when you want to kick him in the belly and punch him in the throat. Maybe that only happens in my house. Love and care for and nurture and walk with your children even when you want to put them out by the road with a sign that says, free, take one. Or all. You see, this faithfulness In the difficulty 
of relationship and the hardship of a household is a testimony of the power of God's love and mercy and compassion at work in us. I was reading one theologian this week, um, and frankly, I expected him to just be a rude Neanderthal when I read him on this passage. But this is what he said. He said, being a mother, this is the Jamie paraphrase, by the way, but he said, being a mother and a wife committed to loving a husband and children well is a very wearying exercise. So at the end of the day, when you are tired and weary, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It actually means you're taking God's word seriously and pursuing it. By the way, Christians, I would just like to take that little quote and extrapolate it to all of life. If we're doing what the Lord calls us to with intensity and focus and faithfulness, we will be weary at the end of the day. So ladies, let your ever-present weariness be a testimony that you are taking the Lord seriously. And husbands, if your wife is the only person weary in your home, then you're doing something wrong. Love husbands and children. Second, to be self-controlled. We gave a whole sermon a few weeks ago to self-control, but it literally means not out of control, not driven and controlled by impulsive passions or distracted desires. Controlled by impulsive passion and distracted desire is the antonym to controlled by Christ and his spirit. Call upon the younger women to be self-controlled. Third, call upon them to be pure. This speaks of a moral purity, which is the opposite of embracing abject Sinfulness, but call on the, the women to be pure in their in the manifestation of the outworking of their morality in all of their lives. Fourth, teach the women to be working at home. This literally means diligently caring for one's household. Now, again, let's notice what the passage does not say. It does not say, teach them to not be working outside the home. That's not what it says. It says, teach them to be working at home, to diligently be caring for one's household, meaning to diligently take seriously the role and responsibility given by God as wife and as mother. I would commend to you Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31, where Solomon extols a godly wife. And if you read that carefully, 
This godly wife cares much for her home and her husband and her children, so much so that she's out in the marketplace doing things. Out in even buying land for the family. So when we hear working at home, don't hold up Victorian upper class ideals. Hold up biblical ideals like Proverbs 31. So if you work it outside the home or you don't, I'm leaving that as a gray area of grace. But the passage would say, wives and moms, take seriously the calling that the Lord has uniquely given to you and be diligent in it. Husbands, I would say the same thing. Take seriously the calling that the Lord has given to you and be diligent in it. But the passage says, particularly, train up the wives to be working at home. I don't know what was going on on the island of Crete in the year 50 AD, but I'm envisioning... um, like the yacht and country club filled up all day with ladies who never go home. I don't know why I'm envisioning that, but I digress. You can even be a member of the yacht and country club and go there during the day. Just take the calling seriously. Fifth, kind. Um, I think kind means kind. Let there be a, a disposition of gentleness and goodness and mercy and compassion that flows from us because of Christ. Sixth, passage says, and submissive to their own husbands. <clears throat> the passage calls for women, quote, to be submissive to their own husbands. So this, this, this passage gets very in line with the teaching throughout the scripture that there are roles in the home and in the world pertaining to men and to women. Men are husbands, women are wives, Men are called to lead lovingly and gently and compassionately and sacrificially in the way that Christ leads his church. And women are called upon to yield and to defer and to follow this leadership as the church does Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 5 verses 23 through the end. A lot this morning I've been saying, but notice what the passage doesn't say. I want to be really clear. My motive is not to explain away the truth of the scripture. My motive is to explain the truth of the scripture. And sometimes there are cultural misreadings that we have to get out so that we can have God's truth read in. Everybody with me here? So notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, wives, be subservient to your husband. 
Meaning it doesn't say your husband is a king and you're a servant and you're just around to say yes, sir, and deliver on all the demands. That is not the vision of the New Testament. Yet the New Testament says in the home there's a leader and the Lord has appointed husband as leader. And it calls upon wife to defer and to yield and to f- yield to and to follow the leadership of husband in the home. Women, I bet a bunch of you are thinking, but I'm smarter than my husband. I'm more educated than my husband. And frankly, I'm just right more than him. Those could all be true. They may be at my house. But to say, I will honor God's vision of the home, even if it doesn't fit me well, is to say that God's ways are good and God's ways are honoring and to believe that the Lord will bless us as we walk in his ways. Um, so when it comes to deference and yielding and leadership, you know, the world is filled with leadership. Everywhere we turn, there's leadership. There's good leadership and there's bad leadership, but there's leadership. And the scripture uses this word for submit in lots of realms of leadership. To your pastors and elders, where in the church, to government officials. Like it uses this realm a lot. So here's a way that I'm learning to submit. For the last six years, I've coached one of my son's baseball teams, which means that I go out on the field and what I think is right happens, even if it's wrong. Well, this year, for the first time in about six years, I'm not coaching anymore, which means that I showed up yesterday and said, hey, coach, go get him. Any way I can help you today? Oh, you're going to do that? Hmm. Okay, yeah. I'm having to learn the skill of yielding, of deferring, and recognizing that in this little small sphere of life, he's the leader. And, and, And this little sphere flourishes if those around him help his leadership flourish. And encourage it and nurture it and honor it. The world is filled with spheres. The home is a sphere. The church is a sphere. Where we live is a sphere. And, and, and we as Christians are called to yield to the leadership the Lord has appointed within those spheres. We're going to talk more about this next week, right, Ben? When we get to chapter 3, verse 1, I'm not preaching. I'm putting Ben on the spot. Seriously, ladies, reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine, teach what is good, love husbands and children, self-controlled, pure, 
working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. Let's believe that these are gifts of grace. Let's believe that the Lord wants us to walk in these ways as a way to honor him in the world. And let's trust the Lord to bless us and help us as we walk in his ways. Men, let this shape your prayers for the ladies in your life. And let this shape your aspirations for the ladies in your life. Let's long for them to glorify the Lord more than we long for them to be whatever else we might thrust upon them.